Hi, and welcome to the 46th episode of the Machine Ethics Podcast. This month, we're talking with Dylan Doyle-Burke, PhD student in machine-computer interaction and religious studies at the University of Denver. Dylan is also co-host to the Radical AI Podcast, and this is part one of our two-part episodes with Dylan and Jesse, who host the show. Dylan and I chat about starting the Radical AI Podcast, new religions and how systems of belief relate to AI, faith and digital participation, digital death and memorial, what does it mean to be a human and what does it mean to have a good life, computer science education and critical thinking, and much, much more. You can find more episodes from us at machine-ethics.net. You can follow us on Twitter at machine underscore ethics, on Instagram at machine ethics podcast, or you can support our work at patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thanks very much and hope you enjoy. Um, hi, Dylan. Uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, if you could quickly introduce yourself, uh, who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Well, first, thank you, Ben, for uh, for having me on. Um, it's it's an honor, uh, especially as a fellow podcaster in this machine learning uh, space. So uh, my name is Dylan uh, Doyle-Burke. Uh, I am, uh, I guess I wear multiple hats. So I am the uh, executive director of uh, Radical AI, uh, which began as a podcast, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that, but has moved on to be a nonprofit. Uh, we're based out of Denver, Colorado in the United States, um, and I am also a PhD student specializing in religious studies at the University of Denver. Awesome. So uh, before we dig into some of the stuff on the podcast, because um, it's really, really nice to both have met you and your co-host, Jess, um, previously, um, we had a conversation and that kind of led into this um, conversation we're having now um, about getting together and sharing some of that on the podcast. So before we get into some of the podcast stuff and your background, can you try and give me your definition of what AI is? Yes. <laughs> yes, I can. That's that's always the toughest question, and it's all this is this is the fun part, right? In, in being on the podcast as opposed to interviewing on the podcast, because I like to be the one on the other side asking that question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm also trying to put in in my head the different things that people have told me. But I think for me, um, so the way that I see myself as uh, in my discipline, which is in religious studies, is that I study the people who are studying the thing. Um, so I'm not necessarily building the machine learning. I'm not necessarily doing the coding. Um, even when I do, you know, consulting work, I'm not necessarily as interested in the thing itself, but what I'm interested in is the people who are doing that designing work. Um, so I'm interested in questions of representation and, uh, questions of why are we designing things? What purpose uh, are we even asking why? Um, so when I think about artificial intelligence, the first thing that I think about are the narratives and stories that we bring to talking about artificial intelligence. So um, one of the reasons why I got involved in this tech ethics arena is because I'm so curious about these narratives that we have, whether it's out in like pop culture um, or in actually the stuff that we're building in terms of robotics. Some of the work that I do is in social robotics of this utopia and dystopia world. So. It's different, right? When when I say machine learning, it's it's a different thing. Like machine learning, you might think of as like applied statistics, but when I think when you say artificial intelligence, it brings all of this baggage with it, uh, and that's kind of where where I'm at. I like that's where I want to study. That's what's really uh, energizing to me is like what is that baggage that we have around this concept of um, artificial intelligence, and then also machine learning. But I think those are different types of 
of baggages. So that didn't really necessarily give you a definition, but I'm in the social sciences, so uh, I think my job is to problematize the definition before actually giving you a definition in that. Well, but for me at the core, it's that, it's that narrative element of, of artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that was a very uh, political way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> but um, I guess what you're saying... Um, it's something if, you, if if I'm wrong that it's it's somewhat cultural. Um, so we have this kind of cultural baggage, uh, and we have also the the kind of technological implementation, which is over here somewhere, and then our minds expand into the possibility space, which is to do with our own kind of our own physicality, but also the philosophy of being human. Like, what does it mean to be human? If there's this thing which we can attribute some sort of air quotes, intelligence, whatever that means. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so I guess what I would add to that is um, when you bring in this concept of intelligence, so when you say it's artificial intelligence, you're making some sort of theoretical claim about intelligence. Um, and if you look at the history of intelligence, uh, like this, this term, this concept, and you go back to, say, the Enlightenment and things like that, it's coming from a very particular place and understanding and set of value systems. Um, and so my kind of invitation in general is to interrogate those a little bit um, more. So when, when I'm talking about artificial intelligence, I think there is a there there. Like there is some level of machine learning that's happening out in the engineering space. Um, and part of the reasons why we created, uh, one of the reasons why we created Radical AI was uh, because there's a lot of hype out there and uh, there's continued need to separate that hype from the reality of what's uh capable, um, especially when you look at things like the Terminator and these ideas of like killer robots. Like that's not where we're at right now. And yet it's interesting to me that we tell those stories. But I think you're absolutely right that I think part of artificial intelligence is that intercultural element um, and the economic element. And uh, there's so much that's that's wrapped up in these narratives and also the realities of these technologies being deployed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's briefly go back and, and, and talk about Radical AI. So it's radicalai.org. <laughs> it's .org. Yeah. Radicalai.org. Check it out. It's a really great podcast. And why did you uh, and Jess get together? How did that happen? And why did Radical AI come out of that relationship? I tell this story differently every time, which is always, it's always surprises me, the different ways that I tell this story. <laughs> so we'll see how it comes out right now. Uh, so I... Um, have been in the uh, podcasting world and then also the entrepreneurial world for um, a long time, for a decade. So I should say that my uh, first career before I started doing doctoral work was as a minister. Um, and one way you can think of ministry, especially in small congregations, is uh, really it's nonprofit management. Um, and so I also worked in the faith sector in the uh, UN and, and these other areas. And um, I learned a lot about how to build a, a business um, and also how to ask a lot of questions that I didn't know the answer to. So I arrived in this PhD program again with like these different skills of how to build things and how to ask questions, but not entirely sure what to do with it. Um, and again, I, I actually, I started not looking at AI ethics at all in my PhD work. I was looking at religious studies in the hospital because I was also a hospital chaplain for a number of years, um, looking especially on like uh, questions of, of death and grief. Um, and how the hospital system interplays with that. But I uh, basically started being interested in this AI ethics space and didn't know anything about it. So I was super ignorant about everything about it. And so I started listening to podcasts like yours um, and uh, like Twimmel and like the, the podcast with Lex Friedman. Um, and there's these great podcasts out there, uh, but 
a lot of them were still really hard for me to um, really get the meat of, of like, well, if I just want like an AI ethics 101 thing, or if I want like a, a, the stories from all sorts of different cultures, like where, where can I go for that? And so as I was doing this process of just being really ignorant and trying to learn as much as I could and soak up as a sponge as much as I could, um, I ended up in uh, Barcelona for what was called the Fat Star Conference, which was the Fairness, Accountability, and Transparency Conference. It's now called FACT. Um, and there was a person there who was uh, presenting, um, and her name was Jess Smith, who's now my business partner. And she um, basically introduced herself saying, oh, yeah, I, I go to school in, in, at CU Boulder, at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I was like, oh, that's right up the road for me. Um, and so uh, when we got back, uh, we went out and we got a beer, and I just started complaining about various things that I didn't understand. And she's an, um, an engineer and an information scientist by training. And um, so... There were so many things that I didn't understand and also so many things that I was frustrated about in my own um, academic journey in terms of AI ethics because what I had found was that there were so many stories out there that were not being told. Um, and maybe some of your listeners have had this experience, I know I did um, anecdotally, where I would go to conferences in tech ethics or in technology and the people on stage would all be straight white men. Um, and so as a straight white man myself, you know, it's like, okay, that's, I have mixed feelings about that, I guess, that's, that's nice, but um, there's so much more that's happening out there. Um, and I won't say too much about this, but I was kind of squabbling with my own university about that same issue, about like, who are we representing on a podcast that I was trying to run there? And uh, Jess was like, yeah, you know, like, I, I wish that we could just do something more radical. Um, and so from there, we just we started this Radical AI podcast, which has now become this organization. And the goal of the organization is to define and co-create what this Radical AI thing is. Um, so we enter this conversation with a lot of humility. There's a lot of different definitions of Radical, not just in the tech world, but also in general. Um, a lot of them say in the 70s in the United States came out of like a black radical tradition. Um, and so we're really intentional to not try to co-opt any of these traditions that have used this terminology in the past. Uh, but really, we're trying to center voices that have been historically marginalized in this AI ethics and, and tech ethics space. Um, because these stories and these histories have been a part of this conversation the entire time. It's just they haven't always been given that platform. Um, and so the kind of the story is just us starting this thing. We thought we were going to get, you know, like 10 people listening to this in the first month. Um, and it's just really exploded. And people have come in from all over the world to listen and to be a part of this um, community. And it's been really amazing for us, not just as public scholars, but also just in our own personal development as uh, PhD students and as people curious about the world, that people have been so supportive of the work that we're doing. Awesome. So again, check that out, uh, radicalai.org. Um, what I liked about it is that you have these, you know, disparate personalities who are talking about their own relationship with the technology, but also their own experience. And, and a lot of them are academics and have a, a skin in the game, essentially, um, or, or business people. And then you're, you're prolific, right? Um, you've done a lot in a very small amount of time. Are you okay? Are you, do you need to lie down, you know? Uh, <laughs> I, I really wish that I could, um, but no, I, I, we're, we're doing well. We're doing well. We, uh, 
it's getting, while we're recording this, it's getting to be August, and so we're actually taking some time off, but we have enough recorded that we can continue uh, to release. We started this project, uh, we launched on April 10th of 2020, and again, now it's August of 2020, and uh, we've released almost like 30 episodes, and like 26 of those have been interviews um, with some of the, and I hate to use the word expert, but it's, it's a word. Um, so like some of the biggest experts in like this AI ethics space from uh, across the board. So, you know, Dr. Ruha Benjamin from Princeton, who wrote Race After Technology, uh, Tim Gebru over in the AI ethics world in Google and uh, John C. Havens from IEEE. And then kind of the list goes on. And we still like every time someone says yes, we're like, why? Why are you saying why are you saying yes to us to come on this podcast? But thank you so much for, for your support. So we've just been so humbled. Um, by that, and uh, yes, I will take time to lay down very, very soon. <laughs> Great, we we don't want you burn you burn you two out. That's, that's all I'm saying. So uh, I was really interested, in obviously the podcast, but I was interested in getting you and Jess on because you have these very different backgrounds, and you're coming together to have these conversations. And I'm really interested in talking to you about kind of these intersections. So for me, I, I'm not totally aware, other than some of the cultural artifacts, maybe Black Mirror episodes and, and things like that, which explore some of the ideas behind uh, maybe something you would like to talk more about um, to do with kind of belief systems and um, artifice or artificial objects. So where is that intersection for you between AI and kind of belief and theology and, and that sort of area? So I think the first thing that I want to say as a preface is that um, I am not the first person that has walked this path. Um, so credit to uh, Genevieve Bell, who now runs the uh, 3AI Institute down in Australia um, at the I believe it's the National University of Australia, and she did a lot of work on uh, techno-spirituality, um, and we can talk a little bit about what, what that is. Uh, and then also uh, Beth Singler is another one of my mentors. She's a, over at, at Cambridge, a uh, professor over there who um, does a lot of work on um, new religions. So if you think about, say, like Scientology or even like Mormonism, religions that have cropped up in the last few hundred years, um, and how the, they are interacting with, with technology. So there's uh, Dr. Ted Vile is another one who's really in, in my institution at the University of Denver who's looking at this intersection between theology and religious studies um, and uh, AI. And so just I just first want to name that there's a lot of folks out there that are doing really incredible work and I'm kind of following in their footsteps. Uh, but for me, that intersection point is exactly what you mentioned earlier um, is my, my research question is what does it mean to be human? And how do these technologies impact, influence, and shape our concept of what it means to be human? Um, because my thesis is that although technology has existed for thousands of years, so like, you know, fire, it's been around for a while, um, the technology that we are interacting with right now has a different substance to it. Um, there's, a, there's a different core there when we're talking about artificial intelligence um, that is impacting us, I think, in ways that we're not even fully aware of on that really like deep state of being, like that epistemological, how do we know things and ontology, like how, do, how are we um, human in, in this world? So that's, that's my core question of what it means to be human and how are these things interacting with how we connect with one another? Yeah. 
And um, so obviously these are kind of questions that we've been grappling with throughout history, right? You know, that, that is a, a core question and a core belief um, around the ontology of, of what that means. So you're basically taking some of this work and reflecting on some of those answers and going, but but this thing of AI, right, guys? Um, or and associated technologies, presumably, maybe. Uh, so is there kind of like a, a headline um, thing within that at the moment? Because there's obviously a lot to explore there, but is there kind of like your, your, what you're excited about in, in that? So I straddle, I'm still in the early years of my PhD, right? I'm still deciding what that uh, dissertation is going to look like, as it were. Um, and because of that, one of the blessings of, of being newer to the space is that I come in with fresh eyes and also I can study kind of what I want <laughs> right now. And so I'm straddling multiple different disciplines uh, in the world of religious studies and, and AI. Uh, so part of the research that I'm doing is on social robotics and moral different moral models that we can apply to this human robotic interaction space, which is one discipline. Uh, part of what I'm looking at is computer science education um, and how we're training folks to think about artificial intelligence ethics. So there's that AI ethics space specifically. And then uh, part of what I'm looking at are these broader philosophical questions um, of what it means to be human and more of the anthropology of the space and the history of the space. And so part of the work I've done with that is about uh, white accountability as well. Um, so following on the work of Timnit Gebru and Black and AI of like, well, what, what does it mean to be a white dude in the space? Um, and is there a way for there to be some level of greater accountability and even like our design and how we're in industry representing our teams? So the answer to your question is there are a lot of headlines mm -hmm. <laughs> in each, like each a, kind of area. That... It's like a spread of uh, stuff. Um, and, and I know right. that um, we were talking before and Jess was saying that she was also doing some teaching as well. So what makes up the teaching for you both? Well, I'll, I'll be talking to Jess in the future sometime, hopefully. It's really great that you're able to step in and um, do some of that teaching. I know that lots of good work's happened in the last couple of years to bring that to computer science uh, programs. Are you enjoying that? What kinds of things uh, are happening there? Yeah. So, um, so to that question, there's there's a lot that's happening there. I mm. do actually want to uh, put a a finer point though, because I felt like I gave you an unsatisfactory answer uh, to the other one about what's happening in this um, religious studies space and theology space, because I, I think it is important even mm. for my research. If you if you're all right with me going yeah, back yeah, to that yeah, for a second, yeah, knock yourself out. So, um, religious studies you can think of as like anthropology essentially but looking at specifically how groups of people construct meaning around things. And then you have this theology thing, which is more confessional and about like what people believe. And both of those places and both of those disciplines are currently trying to figure out, well, what does this AI thing, what does this technology thing mean to us? And no one really knows. So the reason why I don't have a specific answer for you is more, it's not that people aren't asking the questions, it's that everything is still in so much process. So you have people that are asking these big philosophical questions of, okay, so we have this category of human, what does it mean? What do all these new technologies do with that? Then you have these people that are really looking at the technology itself. So you can even think of like, uh, say priests, Buddhist priests in um, Japan, or uh, you can think of like online communities 
in India and in Hinduism uh, where they'll pray for you if, if you pay them. And it's just like a natural part of what's going on um, in that world. Then you also have this, like these historians, right? People who study the Bible and people who study like ancient Greek philosophy and history who are still in that religious studies space. Um, but they're looking at things like, you know, Pandora, who was, is uh, a woman, right? At least is seen as a woman, but was created in some way. So they are both human and, and not human. And then you also have like in that same idea, like these gender studies people that are saying, well, okay, what does it mean for Pandora to be a they, right? As opposed to a she. Uh, and, and all of these things are kind of all in conversation with each other. And my role right now, uh, and one of the things that I'm most passionate about is a project that I'm working on and trying to lay out the landscape for, for all of those things um, at once. And then this goes into your question about uh, computer science education. So Jess and I, one of the real blessings and, and wonderful parts of our relationship um, and partnership is that we think about things so incredibly differently. Um, so she is absolutely a, a STEM person. Like she's absolutely a math and science person. And I am absolutely not. Like I can maybe write like a small program in Python and that's like as far as you're gonna get me. I can do some qualitative research, but that's, mm. um, even that you should you should trust someone else to, to look at my work. Um, but uh, just that, that's, that's, her, that's her place. And so the questions that I bring to this CS education element are very different than the questions that she's bringing. And I'll let, leave, her, leave it to her to be able to talk about the questions she's asking. Um, but for me, I'm very much interested in these you know, qu classical questions of social science of like, okay, so who's in the room? How are we designing these curriculum? And then more than anything, why? I think the question that religious studies and social sciences in general have to add to these questions of engineering and technological design, um, which historically social sciences have not necessarily been part of those conversations. But I think what they can add right now is that question of why and the question of, of purpose. Because I think the engineers already have the question of how, like pretty well done, um, and I don't want to step on their toes. But that, that question of why I think is so important to be able to implement at every level of our training and then also implementation. Um, so when, we're, when I'm looking at the CS education, it's for me, it's what are we including and then why? Are we thinking critically about what we're including or are we just doing it because it's the way we've always done things? Because for me, that's not always a, a good strategy <laughs> for why we're teaching our students. And this is going to have far ranging implications for, you know, decades as this technology continues to develop how we're teaching our students. So I think there's a lot at stake in that conversation. I fully agree. I think the the question of why is paramount. I think it's the 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 starting gun to any process that leads to a product or a service or a design. It's not just why is this going to be good for the company or why is this going to be um, profitable or how is it going to be profitable or some of these questions these are kind of like inherent questions when you're working within the systems of capitalism and things like that of mm. course we're going to ask you know is this is this viable is this going to make us money or is this going to be useful if you're a non-profit for our purpose but why but why are we even doing this why are we spending our life right so when I think about anything that I'm spending a lot of time on Am I going to spend my life, uh, my finite resource on this thing, or am I going to do something else um, because this thing is not going to be as beneficial to me and the people around me and therefore society in doing so? You know, what benefit 
is it going to hold as a technology that can affect lots of people, right? So, um, you know, uh, like you were saying just now, um, we are going to be affected by these decisions for many years into the future, um, and we better think about it, right? <laughs> right. Well, and and for me also, there's this. Um, recently, Jess and I were interviewing this uh, man from the center. I always get the acronym wrong. It's the CAS. I'm going to forget this. Um, the Center for Artificial Intelligence at USC, um, and his name's Dr. Eric Rice. And we were—he basically his research is all about AI for social good. And we got into this conversation with him about well, who gets to determine social good? Like, what what is it? Right? Like, is it is it the people at the top of Google who get to determine it? Um, is it the social workers? Is it the government? Um, like who, who is it? Because at some level we're, we're giving a definition that has long ranging implications about social good. Um, and I see that as another way that religious studies, but also the social sciences specifically can, um, really help this conversation is not just assuming that we know what we mean or that what we're saying is the same thing that people are hearing when we say, um, social good which is also where that intercultural um, conversation is so important. Um, also because these technologies are not, even if they're being designed in a particular place, it doesn't mean they're going to stay in that particular place, right? Um, and so when we hold, again, when we hold our academic conferences only in the U.S. and Canada, or when we have designer teams that are only people, you know, that look like me as a, as a white man, it's like we're, we're not doing our job ethically. Is, is I guess what I would say. I think it's a, there's a real ethical need to ask those questions of representation um, across the board in all these conversations while we're designing technologies. And do you think the people at Google are the right people? <laughs> I mean, there's there's a certain aspect to the situation we, we have at the moment where we can try and build diverse teams and have diverse voices and do our research and uh, bring in anthropologists and sociologists to help us with that process um, and I totally advocate that um, but we we still have these kind of large hierarchical organizations which are doing um, a lot of the money-based work a lot of the um, large-scale AI uh, work and is that something that worries you or, or? so Ben I uh, I 20 year old Dylan is gonna hate what I'm about to say right now um, because 20 year old Dylan was, was very much an idealist and uh, very much hated capitalism. Um, and right now I'm much more of a pragmatist. Um, and so I don't Dylan. think, I know, Dylan, I know, I know, I know, I know. I feel shame saying that out loud, but um, I, I think that we have to work in the systems that we have. Um, I think that it's not going to be possible for us to dismantle every system all at once and that it needs to be an iterative process. Uh, but I think what's really important is that we have a clear goal or at least uh, a vision for where we're trying to head so that we know what those processes are and we know um, kind of what what the landmarks are that we're trying to hit along the way in this road trip. And it doesn't mean that this can't change in the future, right? Like what we start with doesn't have to be what we end with. But um, I'm a strong believer that, you know, we do the best that we can with um, what we have. And this comes from my ministry too, is like people make mistakes, right? People screw up, people uh, 
the best laid plans uh, like always go awry. And also the best intentions are sometimes the ways that we hurt people the most, even in when we're designing technology. And so I don't think the people at the top of Google are bad people necessarily, right? Um, just like I wouldn't want anyone to assume that I'm a bad person. And I think that there are these like really deeply ingrained systems that we need to look at really critically uh, and take our ego out of it as much as we can in order to try to create a more just system and a more equitable system out there. And representation is is just a part of that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would like to go back quickly, um, if if you may, if I may. Um, so you were talking about interested uh, the system of relationships, intersections between you know what you're studying, your PhD, um, and I'm just really interested to know if if you have any thoughts about how those um, changes in belief systems are going to work into the future with AI. I'll give you some examples, maybe. Um, how is our relationship with death going to change? How is our relationship to being a citizen going to change when, you know, we have this kind of 1984 type situation? And um, not only can we be somewhat tracked, but also from a baby, we're, we're going to have this data footprint which follows us through our lives as well, which can augment us as human beings. How does that change our, our situation? And also uh, the transhumanist movement. How how can we feel about being a human, being ourselves, when we start more and more? I mean, when I start, we're already kind of augmenting ourselves with phones and computers and all this sort of stuff and outsourcing. Um, There's a trope about outsourcing our, our memory and our, our factual information to these devices. Um, so what kind of futures are we going to be living in, basically? Go. <laughs> exactly. I, I will tell minutes. you the future. <laughs> That's right. Um, so uh, I would love to solve all of that for you. I can uh, give you a little bit of my sense based on my research on that. Um, so I think the first thing to say is that I don't see what's happening in technology as distinct completely from what's happening in religion and what's happening in society and what's happening in our government spaces. Um, I see it as all very interrelated, both practically, like, you know, government regulations impact technology, but also on this greater, like, philosophical sense of there's there's always something happening. There are always, always trends, right, out in the world. And it's not just one trend, right? There's, there's millions. Um, so I don't want to universalize. But there's something happening with that's specifically being impacted by technology right now um, that is distinct from anything that's happened previously in the world. And so to use your death example, um, there's uh, one of my mentors at CU Boulder, his name is uh, Dr. Jed Brubaker, and he's done a lot of work on um, Facebook and mortality. And uh, he was one of the people who worked with Facebook to create this uh, memorial feature um, where you can make a loved one's page after they pass away into uh, a memorial. Um, and so people can, you know, go and they can leave comments and there's all these different possibilities. And there are so many different ways that that changes our experience of death, right? How old was I? I seven, when I was 17 or whatever and Facebook had like just came out and it was like only for college students. And, uh, I was like lucky cause I was 17 and I could get a Facebook or whatever, um, I would have never thought that that would be a space where I would go and be able to, you know, uh, mourn a, a friend of mine who had complete, or completed suicide, right? It's like, I never would have thought about that. And I think there are a lot of like unseen consequences of that 
including in our technological design. Um, and that's going to that's gonna keep happening. Um, and so you get this interesting trend of, well, what do we do with embodiment, right? Also with faith, like with the Hindu idea that I talked about earlier, like before you would always have to go to a Hindu temple in order to get absolved and, you know, light incense and, and be able to commune with the divine in that space. Now it's no longer the case. Now it's more of like a, um, I don't want to say practical, but it's like, uh, oh, you can just pay and then you're absolved. And there's some Catholic groups. I don't think the Pope likes it so much, but there are some Catholic groups that have leaned into this as well, um, where you don't have to go do confession with a priest. You can do it like on Zoom or something like that. Um, and uh, I think that is going to, we're going to continue to see that trend occur where it's going to become more and more, especially with what's happening with COVID and the pandemic right now, things have been forced in academia, but also in faith communities to become more and more virtual. And that's going to have really long lasting effects for us. Um, and the question is, is that, is that changing, right? Is that changing something fundamental about our humanity and how we relate to these things that have always been a part of our humanity, like death and like citizenship and like faith? And my, my thought is that, yes, it is. And it's still unclear about how deeply it's really going to uh, play out into the future. You, you reminded me um, distinctly of a section from The Handmaid's Tale. I'm not sure if you've read it, um, mm -hmm. where they go and there's like prayer shops, essentially. And they have like, and they put a coin in or something like that. And there's a machine and you can use it to absolve you of your, your sins or whatever. I can't remember exactly the thing, but it really struck me that you're painting a picture of some of these trends um, which are happening around the way that we think about um, faith and, and think about uh, participating in faith, actually, I guess, um, and how that's changing. And I imagine if there isn't already, there must be a lot of potential in the idea of um, chatbots and GTP3 participating in that world and into the future how we would feel about you know a pastor or a vicar or a cleric of some shape or form being somewhat artificial right well and so then it's a question of what of what artificial means too right so you're it's meaning like not human in that case uh but then what if it's like human like there's this there's this uh, i don't know if um on your on your side of the ocean, if if y'all have stop and shop at all, it's just like a, a decent size like um, uh, grocery store basically, um, and they have this robot they've just introduced, or I guess they introduced maybe a year ago, uh, called Marty, um, and it go it's about five five foot three, um, and it kind of looks like a just kind of like a tube, um, and it cleans up spills so that employees don't have to do it. But what they did is they put these two massive eyeballs on it and then a big face, like a big smiley face. And people hate it. Like people have like penned op-eds saying, I will not go to this grocery store because of this robot because it scares the heck out of me. And I think that's like a microcosm of um, this really interesting space that we're finding ourselves at like right now at this point in humanity um, where we're talking, like we're trying to figure out what... This is why the question for me is like what it means to be human. Because I think that if that robot didn't have those eyes and didn't have that mouth, and research backs me up on this, people would feel very differently. There might be more trust, there might be less trust. Um, but in that robot space, it just like puts all of these things so plainly and, and forces us to ask. Like it's no longer just a thing that we can ask in the ivory tower. It's like, oh, 
oh, this makes me feel weird. Like there's something threatening about this like other being. So is it another being or is it just like what, what's, what's going on in me? Um, so there's a psychological aspect to this as well, but also an ethical aspect of like, how are we designing these spaces? Whether it's about faith, whether it's about citizenship, death, whether it's about this Marty and stop and shop, um, there's, there are real consequences to this, uh, which is why I keep saying, because I think it's really important that there are real consequences to how we're designing this technology philosophically as well. Yeah. And I guess as we become, as these technologies become more proliferated and Marty becomes part of our fabric of our normal life, um, I imagine that sort of reaction will change and we'll have um, a different set of reactions to maybe a Marty, which is Marty, you know, 3.0 or something that you know, can actually talk back to us and, and assist us in different ways. And maybe that becomes the new uncanny valley or, you know, some sort of situation like that. Um, it's it's really interesting to see how this is going to change over the next couple of uh, decades and, and how this technology, both embodied, but also um, disembodied, uh, becomes more part of our life and, and, and less freaky, I guess, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, yeah. or, or more freaky or more freaky. More that's freaky, that's yeah. what I'm interested in. So so I was thinking while we were talking here that um, back, back in the in the earlier 2000s, uh, when when you and I were both young, Ben, uh, I don't know if you had this experience. <laughs> I know maybe you're still young. I don't know. Uh, but uh, the um, I, I had a good amount of friends who were in their early 20s who uh, just didn't want to live in cities anymore. And so uh, they were all pretty hip and they, you know, like to drink out of mason jars and stuff like that. And they um, all moved into like tiny homes or farming communities. Right. And in some ways it's kind of funny, but in other ways, it's like they were trying to get back into this like roots of what they thought of as like as human and what was important. Like they wanted to get their hands in the dirt. And that was because they had spent so much of their lives in these like urban spaces that weren't giving them everything that they needed, weren't giving them sunlight, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think we're like my sense, and this is totally hearsay, but my sense is that we're going to see a very similar, I don't want to say conservative pushback, but we're going to see a pushback to technology in the same way, or at least people who are trying to reclaim that embodiment. Um, especially with what's happening with COVID and like these virtual spaces, I think we're going to see a real need, you know, if slash when this uh, pandemic kind of lifts, Um, the spaces are going to be different, but I think we're going to see this pushback of like, no, we need to be in person. Like I need to meet with my community in person. And I think we're actually going to see an uptick in people going to in-person churches and things like that following this, but uh, time will tell. Yeah, I will. um, I'd like to say I'm not a betting man, but I am a betting man. So I'll, I'll, I'll bet against you on this one and see what happens. Uh, I okay. think um, I, I'm hoping you're right because I, I like the in-person um, meeting and brainstorming and the my work environment is much more fulfilled in that way um, and my social environment, I guess, as well. I'm sat in my home at the moment and it's boring me with the, the four walls I see every day. Um, and I... You know, I have a lovely family, but it's uh, it's nice to see other people. But anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so just uh, I, falling I, off I think, track I here. Think, yeah, no, I, I think that you're... Um, uh, I, I think that question of fulfillment that you just raised is, is key here. Um, and for me, the question of um, what it means to be human is also a question of what it means to live a good life. 
And in that question, also, you get into this, these justice issues and these issues of, of privilege um, and all, all of that, uh, which, which I don't know if we have time to talk about. But um, this question of like, that's a religious question for me. Like, that's a spiritual question. Um, and I think that as technology continues to evolve and change and our relationship to it continues to evolve and change, perhaps we'll see a difference in what that fulfillment uh, might look like. And that's something I'm really curious to see yeah. is that, that how that good life alters as we get more and more used to different technologies going forward. I think um, for me, it's, it's like a physiological, psychological, neurological, spiritual thing that that good life is, um, which we've been grappling with for a long time. But I think there are fundamental things that we can say about being human, right? The A lot of the physiological stuff is quite well tread paths you know well known um and the neurological stuff is coming um just becoming more and more uh, um illuminated um our knowledge about how the inner workings of our brain works um but it doesn't it still comes back to you know what are we going to do with that knowledge and it it won't tell us exactly that we should live in this perfect environment and that we can all do that and you know, what is the, within society, how are we going to make that work? When we continuously know more about ourselves, are we going to be able to push for better equity in in that situation? Um, and obviously we can spend a lot of time talking about that, but, you know, how are we going to shape our society so that hopefully the the product of our, our tools, um, the AI, the, the robots and all this sort of stuff uh, become fruitful for, you know, the common of us as humanity rather than the few. Um, so that's a big problem in my mind. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the key problem. And again, one of the reasons why we started um, Radical AI was that I get frustrated with academia because we publish so many papers and then three people read them or three people cite them. And that's wonderful, right? But I think it's important to be able to um, bring bring something out into the world <laughs> that changes something for the better. Um, and so I think the question that you're raising about, well, what do we do with it? Like we might have all this knowledge, but then how are we actually going to implement it is, uh, is so critical. And I think the kind of the, at least the two things that um, religion and some people have a very allergic relationship with spirituality and religion, which is probably another, another podcast. Um, Cause I also struggle with that, right? Even as a former minister. Um, but uh, I think the things that religion can bring to this conversation or spirituality can um, is a sense of, of awe and wonder and mystery is the first thing. Um, so being able to say to your question of the future, well, we don't know. And that's, and that's kind of cool too. Cause it's like limitless possibilities to a certain degree. Mm. Um, and, and then the other thing that I think spirituality can bring to it is uh, a humility. I think that um, anytime you're in a boardroom and someone says, I have the answer to this societal problem and this is the product that will solve this, I think you should be really skeptical, right? Because I think that um, if we kind of take some of that ego out of it and be able to say, okay, well, I don't know, but we're going to do our best with this, then we're able to implement that design a little bit more um, effectively, And I see that as part of my role as a, a consultant. I do some consulting work with um, a group out of Brussels called uh, Ethical Intelligence, who I wanted to give a shout out to. And Olivia Gamblin is, is the CEO over there. And um, some of the work that 
that they do and that I do with them is asking those uh, questions of, you know, how do you keep options open as opposed to think that you have the answer or the option. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've, um, we've spoken to Olivia on the podcast previously mm-hmm. and um, she puts in contact. So thanks, Olivia. Shout out. Um, <laughs> moving forward a little bit um, and touching on something that we, we spoke about briefly. Do you have any um, um, thoughts or specific um, concerns about things like the transhumanist movement and things uh, concerning the augmentation of um, the human the human body, but also maybe the human mind as well? I, uh, one thing I think it's important to point out is the... Um, Although there is a greater transhumanist and posthumanist movement that's existed, especially in sci-fi, for a long time, um, there's also a lot of transhumanist and posthumanist movements as well. Um, so there's kind of like the academic uh, overarching, and then there's also like a lot of people that are living out these things in everyday life. And so uh, I can give a very brief definition, but I'm going to do it wrong. Uh, because it, there are just so many different definitions that are out there right now. Um, so uh, transhumanism, my understanding is you can kind of think about that as terms of uh, augmentation, so that technology is uh, relating to our body in a different way. So uh, some people even argue that, say, like if I wear my Apple Watch, right, that I'm already transhuman in a certain way because I'm constantly looking at it. It's measuring all of my biometrics, things like that. Um, whereas posthumanism is taking that to a little bit more of, of an extreme conclusion of, okay, well, what does it look like in a, in a post-human world? Um, so there's uh, a lot of great, like, um, black post-human hip-hop uh, that's um, r- really awesome. And it's, it's talking about, like, you know, well, when the aliens come, like, what, what does this mean? And the reason why it's important that we name that it, there's a black tradition in that is because post-humanism also has this tradition of... Um, because black folks have so often not be, been seen as human uh, in the colonial context and in the American context specifically. And so there's this, been this pushback of like, okay, well, what, what does it mean? Again, what does it mean to be human um, in an inequitable thing? And looking through this post-human lens, there's almost a way to understand um, that black experience of never being seen as human, of being in chattel slavery and, and things like that in a different way. Um, so my sense of uh, transhumanism is that it'll be really interesting to see what happens <laughs> with, with with those transhumanisms. So I, um, I I believe in the argument that we're already transhuman, but also that we've always been transhuman. Again, ever since we like invented the wheel, it's like we're, we've always been interacting with tools. Like it's never just been humanity qua humanity, like only us. Um, it's always been us working in some sort of greater context. context. Um, so again, the question is whether this technology that we have now is different, which I believe it is. Um, and then the post-human, I think I'm going to leave that to scholars that are, are better equipped to handle um, that question. I don't believe that we're in a post-human world right now, but I do believe that the question of what it means to be post-human, um, especially in the stories that we're telling ourselves about the utopia and dystopia of AI, is are really important questions even as we think about justice in our world right now. Uh, great. And um, I guess the the popular idea, which was maybe... Um, four or five years ago, uh, this idea of the singularity. Um, Dylan, are you going to give yourself over to the computer overlords and uh, blend with uh, the AI, or are you going to elevate yourself and become a new entity? Yes. 
<laughs> Good. I, okay. We're gonna we're gonna have to see. We're gonna have to see. Uh, there's there's this um, in some of my HRI work, my human robotic interaction work. Um, I've been trying to bring in uh, this um, theory by uh, Jonathan Haidt, and he talks about moral foundations theory. But his whole thing is like the tail wagging the dog. So like your instinct is actually. We think that we're trying to be moral and that we're like intentional about being moral, but really it's just like whatever our instinct is or whatever we're trained to that like makes us take moral actions. And so when the robot overlords come, when the computer overlords come, I think I'm just going to have to trust my instinct and uh, see if I if it's fight or flight, <laughs> I guess, or or assimilation if that's the other option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're going to lean into whatever your first reaction is. I, I don't know if I'm going to have a choice depending on uh, if they're benevolent or not, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. I think um, from what I've read, I'm, I'm, I'm still on the fence, um, you know, for cultural, um, the stories and things like that about different ways these things can go. But I think, like you, it'd be interesting to see how these sorts of technologies play out uh, on the horizon, right? This is kind of horizontal stuff, whether it's even possible. Um, so... Um, yeah, but it's still fun to think about, right? So, right, absolutely. Well, and and I, I think this is the point that I've like probably been obnoxious and trying to hammer home in, in this interview, and I, I'm not exactly sure why I feel so strongly about it right today. Um, but it, I think that like these these stories are not just stories, right? These stories like matter. The stories that we tell ourselves about the singularity matter in terms of how we treat one another and also how we treat the development and the design of our technology. Um, and so let's continue to be really intentional about about those stories, which is why I think the question you just asked is a really good one. Like, I think we should think about it even in the hypothetical, because it tells us something a little bit about uh, where we are right now, even individually. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Maybe maybe we can go away and, and write some short stories and, and come back and uh, discuss. Um, I think um, I think I think it's probably probably useful. I think a lot of the uh, science fiction writers have got a lot to say for themselves, haven't they? To do with our, you know, our current thinking on this subject. Absolutely, um, no, it's. Um, I mean, I think we're all storytellers. No matter where we enter this conversation, whether we're writing code or whether we're writing stories or whatever, we're, I think we're all storytellers to a certain degree. And there's, I think, a lot of power in stories. Sweet. Um, well, we're coming up to nearing the end now, um, Dylan. So thanks very much for for uh, spending this time with us. The last question I always ask is what scares you, but also what really excites you about AI and our future? I think my answer is the same for both. I think what scares me and what excites me is the potential. So I think the potential of this technology uh, whether it's just applied statistics or whether it's, you know, the eventual singularity, um, I think is incredibly exciting. Like, I, I think the possibility to make our world a better place for people is, um, and maybe also for robots, is, is I think, wonderful. And I think really um, almost overwhelming in just the raw possibility um, that, that we've been seeing as this technology has evolved so quickly in such a short amount of time. Um, and I think that the scariest part is, is the possibility. I mean, like when you look at facial recognition tech, when you look at, um, what happens when you have a bunch of well-intentioned people who are not necessarily looking at their context and then, uh, the technology ends up, uh, you know, uh, and I'm thinking about the ProPublica, Pro uh, article about, uh, analyzing recidivism rates, right. And how, um, it's, it was so racially biased, 
um, there are just ways when this technology, when it becomes unchecked, I mean, it's still powerful, right? It's like powerful tool, um, but just like any other tool, it can be terrifying how you use it. Like I can use, you know, a, a, an ax to chop a piece of wood and be able to heat my house for my family and I can use it to kill someone. Um, and I think that it's important for us to not treat this technology, I guess, any different, even if it's... a might be might be a little different. It might even be more powerful in certain ways, mm-hmm. at least in terms of scope. Um, but that potential and that possibility to impact the world is, um, I think, so exciting and so amazing in theory. But in practice, as you said earlier, it's a question of what do we do with it? Do we make the world a better place or do we not? <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, Dylan, let's make the world a better place. Um, you're certainly doing a good job at the moment with your podcast series and um, all the work that you've been looking into trying to make sense out of all these kind of really disparate well not disparate but really um, interesting threads and bringing them all together and making sense out of um, what is um, interesting there Uh, I find it all interesting which is why I'm not an academic and I never get to (laughs) write anything but anyway um, thanks again uh, for coming on the podcast Um, Dylan if people want to follow you find your work how can they do that so if people want to uh, follow up with me uh, you can always send me an email you can find my email at my website which is dylandoylburke.com I also invite you to check out uh, Jess and I's project which is called Radical AI which again you can find at radicalai.org or you can find both the project and myself on Twitter uh, the easiest way to find us would probably be through the Radical AI Twitter which is just at Radical AI pod and Ben thank you so much for having me on today it's been a pleasure Hi, and welcome to the end of the podcast. Thanks again to Dylan for his time and knowledge. Obviously, for more from Dylan and Jesse, check out the Radical AI podcast. I was really excited about getting them both on the podcast because they have really disparate disciplines. And I was really interested to talk more about kind of faith and religion and how these things intersect. And Dylan seemed like the perfect person to come and and explain some of those aspects. I hope you enjoyed and look forward to talking to Jesse in a couple of months' time. Obviously, if you'd like more episodes, then check out the podcast at machine-ethics.net. This month, we're actually supporting Manning's Women in Tech conference on the 13th of October. It's an online conference, and there are talks on careers, big data, VR, and loads of tech subjects. You can find more information on that on the episode page on the website. Thanks again for all my Patreon supporters, and to find out more, you can go to patreon.com forward slash machineethics. Thanks again, and I'll see you the next time.